was talking with uh, my brother about uh, coming back uh, from, uh, of course, being in uh, a working from home environment to seeing colleagues and uh, uh, from all the, the lockdowns and running into people and kind of having that reaction. What happened to you? You are twice the man you used to be. No, uh, whatever it is, that idea of what happened to you uh, may be at a reunion or one other time. And I wonder whether for any of the people that heard Peter and John proclaiming boldly the gospel in Acts chapter 4, the reaction was, what happened to you? The last time that Peter, at least from what I can tell in our scripture, was in the presence of the high priests or at least the house of the high priest was we read about in Matthew 26, the great denial of Peter. When Peter is confronted by a maid, a young girl, a servant girl, she says to him, you were with Jesus, thank you. And he says, I was not. And another comes and says to him, no, you actually were. And he says, I don't even know the man. And then those that were around him eventually gather it and they say, you speak like a Galilean. You're a Galilean like he was. You are one of those Nazarenes. And his response is to swear with an oath, taking, using the name of God almost certainly to say, I do not know that man. And of course, we think about this example in Peter's life as one of great cowardice and of great failing. And Peter himself, when he heard the cock crow for the second time, he went out and he wept bitterly. He knew this was a period of cowardice, of failing in his life. Now imagine the next time that Peter is at least in the presence of the broader coterie, if you will, of the high priest. He is now standing directly in front of them here in Acts chapter 4, not before a servant girl. And now gone entirely is that timid, cowardly one who could not even identify with Jesus, not even say he knew him to a servant girl. Now he is not only identifying with Jesus Christ, not only expressing his allegiance to Jesus Christ, He is expressing in the boldest possible terms to these powerful men, Jesus is your Messiah. He is the Messiah of our people of Israel. Not only that, God has raised him from the dead. He is alive. He has ongoing relevance in your life. Not only that, you by your wicked hands have crucified and slain him. You, he says here in Acts chapter 4, you are those, uh, 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 those builders that rejected this stone. Jesus is the stone that was rejected of you builders. It just become the head of the corner. And he says in verse 12, the truth of the exclusivity of Jesus that still causes so much controversy today. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friends, we should ask the question, what happened to Peter? How could a one man experience two such incredible ranges of cowardice on the one hand and of incredible boldness on the other? Last week, I suspected that last week would be our last sermon, uh, at least in the lecture portion of this study on an evangelism method. 
really, I realized, I think, that there was one more that we needed to cover, one more topic that not only would talk about the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the divine plan in the gospel, the human responsibility in the gospel, the divine prosecutor in the gospel, the, the Christian disposition in the gospel, but ultimately today, finally, the gospel, a divine enablement. The gospel, a divine enablement. Because there's only one thing that can explain what happened to Peter. The Spirit of God enabled him to be bold. And if you and I want to be effective evangelists for Jesus Christ in whatever personal situations we are confronted in through the week, you and I must similarly be divinely enabled to proclaim the word of God with boldness. Three aspects, three points about boldness that I want to make tonight in, by way of applying it to our life and by looking at the example of Peter. Here's the first one. The first one from the life of Peter, we see that boldness isn't a natural trait. Boldness isn't a natural trait. I want to stop for just a moment here while we jump in and ask you to think about for a moment. When you think of someone who is bold to be a witness for Jesus Christ, what kind of characteristics do you think about? Maybe you would even think about it like this. If you could think of someone who you know or think of as being a bold witness for Christ, who comes into mind? And I want you to pause for a minute and I want you to think about that. And then I want you, if you have a note page, I just want you to jot something down. What are the characteristics that come to mind of someone who is bold when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I'm, we're going to start there. So just go ahead and think while we pause. I had a preacher who asked his seminary class that same question. And one of the people gave exactly the answer, one of the students gave exactly the answer that he was hoping they would give, which effectively, he said, I think of someone who has his elbows out. Now, what did he mean by that? I think of someone who is somewhat intrusive, someone who has sharp elbows, someone who is confrontational, someone who is direct. Perhaps we think of someone who has a type A personality who puts themselves forward. And we identify that as boldness. But what I want to suggest from the example of Peter, that can't be. Because Peter recognized and Peter exhibited the pendulum. He exhibited the whole timeline, the whole spread from cowardice to boldness. Nothing about Peter, if you look at him and this example, you would say, oh, he is predispositioned to boldness. Now, I want to make one distinction. There are some people that mistake boldness for brashness. Boldness for, frankly, bullying. Boldness for a kind of meanness or rudeness. You see people who are perhaps out on a street corner calling people names, yelling at each other, screaming at people, and they think they are being bold for the gospel of Christ, but they are not. They are actually exercising fleshliness. I am not talking about the kind of person who just enjoys confrontation. 
about the person who just loves sticking it in people's face. The, the kind of person who just loves having argument and debate, who loves being the target of persecution. That's not the kind of person I'm talking about. And in fact, there's scriptural evidence for this idea that we can preach the gospel and think we're being bold or think we're being uh, appropriate, but we're not. You remember in Philippians 1, when Paul says of those people who have gone forward preaching the gospel, some preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some people preach Christ, he said, of contention. There are some people who are proclaiming words of truth, but in a spirit, as we talked about the the disposition of the effective witness last week, who are simply brash and brusque and confrontational. I'm not talking about that kind of person. Boldness in the biblical spiritual sense is not a natural trait. Peter shows us that. He shows us that his personal trait was toward the same kind of cowardice that you and I can feel in our daily lives when we wonder, why didn't I say more? Why didn't I jump in? Why didn't I defend Jesus in that moment? Why didn't I give a clearer presentation of the gospel? Now, to prove that this just isn't Peter, this just isn't some kind of remarkable change that in natural traits that he had, we see it elsewhere in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 Paul asks the people of Ephesus, please pray for me. For what? For utterance that I may speak boldly. You say, if there was a naturally bold person, it was Paul. Paul was the guy who could get up and speak to crowds, who would get up and speak to rulers, who would get up and speak to anyone. If there was one person who was, who was gifted to be bold, it was Paul. And here Paul is getting up to the Ephesians and saying, please pray that I'd be bold. One pastor I heard preaching on this said, do you realize that the people who get up and speak the word of God need your prayers to be bold? Do you know I need your prayers to be bold when I preach? Do you ever sit down before the the, the beginning of the service and say, God, would you please help Pastor Peter to be bold this morning, bold this evening? That would be a biblical prayer. Do you pray that our missionaries out on the foreign field would have boldness? God, give them boldness in what they do. That's a biblical prayer. None of us are naturally bold. None of us have a natural edge over you when it comes to cowardice. We are all struggling from the same kind of weakness, of fleshly weakness, and we need boldness. It wasn't Peter's personality. It wasn't Paul's personality. This was something that was given to them. It wasn't just that. It wasn't our intellectual training. Some people say, I would be bolder if I just knew more, if I knew the Bible better, if I just had a little better grasp of doctrine. And don't get me wrong, we need that training. In fact, even Peter we know in scripture that after Jesus was, was resurrected, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them the things concerning the kingdom of God. Can you imagine having a 40-day seminary crash course with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus? In Luke 24, scripture says he opened their understanding that they would, that they would understand the scriptures you imagine that Jesus himself taking you through the Old Testament? It's not that these men didn't have a grounding in the Bible. They were just out there winging it. But notice what Scripture says of these men, what the chief priests recognize. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They weren't tutored. They weren't trained in all the formal schools. And that was what was so mind-blowing to them. 
They speak with such authority like Jesus did. Jesus was one who taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. These ones are untrained, untutored, and yet they're expressing such boldness. Boldness does not come with a PhD. Boldness does not come with an extensive seminary degree or background. And we shouldn't let ourselves have that cop out. So first of all here, boldness isn't a natural trait and you should not excuse your lack of boldness any more than I might by saying others can be bold. I can't, I'm not trained, I'm not tutored, it's not my personality, I'm shy, I'm reserved, I'm an introvert. You don't know me, Pastor Peter, I can't be bold. It's a lie because Peter showed us you can be absolutely cowardly in, in nature and you can be absolutely bold as a lion under the gift of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, boldness isn't a natural trait, but notice secondly, boldness is a divine empowerment. Boldness is a divine empowerment. I wanna say this in response to this question that we started with, what happened to Peter? If you were to be asked, what was the difference between the Peter of Matthew 26 and the Peter of Acts 4, what would you say? wasn't his natural change, what would you say? The Holy Spirit. Go back to, uh, to uh, Acts chapter four together and notice where we picked up in verse seven. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, read the next phrase out loud, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke to them. This connection between boldness and the Holy Spirit is something that we have to recognize. Boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do tonight is I want to try to just make, make a really quick definition of boldness from Scripture. What is boldness so that you and I are going to know whether we exhibit it in our lives? That's the first component, I think, of the definition. Boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul requested that you pray for it. God, give me utterance so that I may speak boldly. So we need it. It is God by his Holy Spirit that gives it to us in the fullness of the Spirit. Notice what's the next, I'd say the next definition of this. Boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit in a particular moment of time in a particular moment of time. Now, why do I say that? It's because there is no residual boldness. Boldness is something that happens in the present, in the moment. Now, you say, where do you get that scripturally? Start in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. P Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes out and preaches this on-fire sermon for God. In chapter 3, he preaches another on-fire sermon for God, boldly proclaiming the truth of God's word. And what does Hebrews 4 want to make sure we know? He was full of the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit there. Peter was not simply relying on, oh God, I was filled with the Spirit way back then. Being bold requires the present fullness of the Spirit in the moment. That's what I rely on for my boldness. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, go ahead to verse, to, to, uh, verse number 23 here of chapter 4. 
Peter and John are let go. They go back to their company, to the group of Christians, and they pray. And what do they say? They say in verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants. I'm asking for a gift. I'm asking for an empowering. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened next? And they spake the word of God with boldness. What happened? In the particular moment of time, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they immediately were speaking the word of God with boldness. Boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit and it is for a particular moment of time. There are no residuals, if you will. And here's the last part that I would say in this very simple biblical definition of boldness. To speak whatever needs to be said to speak whatever needs to be said. Boldness is a divine gift from the Holy Spirit in a particular moment of time to say whatever needs to be said. Now you say, how do you get that? Let's think about this word boldness for a minute. What does it mean when scripture says that Peter spoke with boldness? You need to understand a little bit about this Greek word. This word comes from two Greek words put together and it has the idea of simply this telling it all. The idea is of speaking words, but the idea is every single word. A way that you would just commonly define boldness is just telling it all. In fact, we can see this in the adverb form of this word. When the same word is used throughout our New Testament, let me read for you other ways it is translated. It is translated openly. It is translated plainly. It is translated boldly. It is translated freely. What is the idea? When you speak boldly, you speak completely openly, completely freely, completely plainly. There's no holding back. If you were to go out this summer in this drought and decide to water your garden, you would know the idea when that hose is not bringing out all the water that you're expecting. You've cranked the nozzle all the way up. What's the first thing you do? There's a crimp somewhere. Something is preventing the water in that hose from flowing out like I would expect it to, like, like it is otherwise would be enabled to. And so you go start looking for where the crimp is. And the idea of speaking boldly is when that enablement that comes from that spout, right? The, the, the words that I have been given to proclaim, they come out freely without any crimp, without anything that is withholding them or preventing them. Now let's think about the way that we give the gospel. How many times when you or I are ready to proclaim something about the word of God, you feel a crimp in the hose? You say, I, I, can't, I can't say that, that's too embarrassing. Or, oh, I don't, I don't know if they're going to like that. What's happening? What's happening in the moment is there's a crimp in the hose. The water's not coming out freely. Something is holding me back. And by contrast, these men, whatever needed to be said in the moment, by the divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit in a particular moment of time, they were empowered to say whatever needed to be said, to tell it all. That's boldness. That 
is biblical boldness. And that is what the Holy Spirit is empowering you and I to do whenever we have an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, I don't think it's a mystery to most of us here tonight that the Holy Spirit is connected to our boldness, that we need the Holy Spirit to be bold witnesses for Christ. But I want to close tonight by asking what actually this looks like Because it's one thing to say, oh, Holy Spirit, give me boldness. It's another thing to know how the Holy Spirit gives you boldness, what it feels like for the Holy Spirit to give you boldness, what you need to identify as potential crimps in the hose that are preventing you from being bold. So we've seen that boldness isn't a natural trait. We've seen that it is a divine empowerment. And thirdly, I want to simply say that boldness is based on a personal reality. Boldness is based on a personal reality. Where do I get this? Look with me at the end of this passage that we read here in Acts chapter 4. Verse 18, these, these leaders, these high, the high priests and the coterie of people around them, they called them and commanded Peter and John not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You stop that. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. You judge. It's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical statement. They're saying, no, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. There are two aspects of that statement that show us, in my view, what boldness looks like for you and me. Those two things are an unshakable fear of the Lord and an undeniable reality of Jesus Christ in your life. Let me say it again. The two things that the Holy Spirit brings when you are full of the Holy Spirit, there are more things, but the two things that I see here that he brings you are a fear of the Lord, an unshakable fear of the Lord, and an undeniable conviction, a reality of the experience of Jesus Christ in your life. Notice those two things with me. The first thing, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. What are they saying? In that moment, in the fullness of the Spirit, these men had a presence, had a reality of the presence of God and say, we will obey him, we will not obey you. Now, we looked at this this morning. I know many of you were teaching Sunday school classes this morning, so you may not have been able to participate. But we looked this morning at Hebrews 11 about the fact that Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Why did he not fear the wrath of the king? Because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And we looked at the simple point that faith in your life involves looking at a hostile king who can kill you and in a sense, he being less real to you than an invisible one, God himself. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the unshakable reverence for God that says you are everything and you are greater than the person who is standing in front of me and threatening me. And these men had it in spades. These men who could throw them in jail, who could take away their lives, who could make their lives miserable, they looked at them and said, we will not obey you. Why? Because God, we will obey him. He is more real to us. He is above you. The fear of the Lord. Now, do you know we see this throughout men and women who are bold in the scriptures? An unshakable fear of the Lord. We see it in Paul 
1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, Paul is speaking to these Thessalonians that he had helped lead to Christ. And listen to what he says. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, entrusted with the gospel, God placed the gospel with them as a duty for them to carry out. He said, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. What was the point? The point is this. When I am speaking the gospel, God, pleasing God, is more important to you than me, than pleasing men. Now, do you know what that would do for your boldness? If in a particular moment of time, remember, in a particular moment of time before a particular person, what was most real to you was not pleasing them, but pleasing God. Do you know what would happen? You'd be liberated to be bold. You'd be liberated. Men and women who are bold are in that particular moment of time confronted with the reality of who God is. Do you know we see the same thing in the Old Testament? The Old Testament prophets who are such examples to us of the boldness to speak and proclaim against hostile audiences. Do you remember Micaiah? Micaiah, that wonderful prophet, Jehoshaphat is meeting with the king of Israel about a military alliance. And, they, and Jehoshaphat says, are there any true prophets here of the Lord that we can talk to? And they go and get uh, Micaiah. And, and, and the king of Israel says, I hate him. He only says bad things, not good things. And they bring Micaiah and that messenger comes to him and says, Micaiah, everyone's been saying good about this military alliance. Why don't you say the same thing, Micaiah? Here's what Micaiah says, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. You don't understand. I please God, I don't please men. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They've been brought in front of a burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, fall down and worship, and if you don't, you're going to burn in the burning, fiery furnace. And do you remember what those men said? They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, who were they looking at in the moment when boldness was needed? They were looking at God and saying, he's above you, O king. I'm trying to please him. One example we don't think about so much, Amos, the minor prophet, who is an incredible example of boldness, there's an example that's given in Amos chapter 7 when Amaziah, the high priest at Bethel, leading this cultish religion, not the true religion of Jehovah under the, under the direction of, of Jeroboam, sends a message to Jeroboam talking about this man Amos who is preaching these bold, courageous words. And listen to what Amaziah says. O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, where God's worship is. Go flee but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Don't you dare go against the king in his court. And listen to what Amos says. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman, I was a shepherd and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Whew. That's a man who says, 
I don't care whose court I'm in because the king didn't tell me to do this. He told me to do this and I'll keep on doing what he tells me to do. John Knox, the reformer, we read of a man of just uncalculable, incalculable boldness. A man who stood up to, to Mary, Queen of Scots in Scotland. A man who is just known for the forcefulness of the boldness of his proclamation of the word. It said of him that John Knox feared God such that he feared no man. He feared God such that he feared no man. I gave the example this morning of Hugh Latimer, and I'm going to give it again just because it's such a wonderful story. J.C. Ryle in this sermon gives this example. As I said this morning, I don't know whether it truly happened. It could have been apocryphal. But the story goes that Latimer was going to be preaching before King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII was a man with his own particular sensibilities, you might say. And Latimer, it is said, realized that his sermon may not go across very well before King Henry VIII. And the story goes that as Latimer stood up to preach in front of Henry VIII, he said, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty King Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal ears? Again, he's saying this publicly. He's saying this to Henry VIII. And then he paused and continued, Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, before him to whom one day you will have to give account yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all of God's word. When we fear God, we don't fear men. And in that particular moment of time, the Spirit of God can empower us in that reality, the reality of the presence of God and our need to be faithful to Him in a way that we can say, I'm not pleasing you in front of me. I'm pleasing Him. And so I'm going to tell it all. I'm going to say whatever needs to be said. So what boldness is based on is the personal reality of the fear of the Lord, something you cultivate in your scripture times each morning, something you cultivate on your knees, something you cultivate in your daily lives, but ultimately something that God in the fullness of his spirit can give you in that particular moment of time to be bold and speak the truth. But there's one other thing. Notice, not only does he say, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. He says in verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What's the second great characteristic of boldness? Not just the fear of the Lord, but the unshakable experience of the reality of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this over and over again in our series, what does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Holy Spirit empower us? One of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us is by bringing the reality of Jesus Christ to your heart, by bringing the reality of who he is in his presence to you, by enriching you, by pouring out his love in your heart. We could go over and over and over again. Revival, friends, is not just a bringing to life in a generic sense. A revival is a bringing to life in a sense of Jesus in your life. Revival is when you have a fresh touch that the things that the Bible tells you about Jesus and that you have experienced about Jesus are real. They can be depended on. They can be lived out in your daily life. Reviving is a fresh touch of the Spirit bringing Jesus to life, if you will, in your 
consciousness. And what happened with these men, what was a basis for their boldness, was they looked at these men and said, what, what are you going to tell us to do? We have seen things. We have experienced them. We have known them. We have to speak them. I'm reminded of a time last year when Tabitha and I went uh, to Bayfield, Wisconsin. We were going to visit the Apostle Islands. And we were going on this hike along Myers Beach. Myers Beach is this extremely picturesque uh, area uh, in that general Bayfield area. And you have to do this kind of woodland hike for, I don't know, maybe a mile or two before you get to those famed sea caves, those caves carved out by Lake Superior. You have these beautiful echoes, these brilliant, beautiful caves that are there. And as we were walking, Tabitha and I were walking and, and doing our little hike trying to get there, we saw I, it was an elderly man coming back. There may have been others with him. And, and he said to us, we kind of asked, like, how is it? And he said to us, basically, ah, it's, it's not worth it. It's, there's not much to see up there. And we were kind of like, oh, okay, all right, well, that's kind of disappointing. But we're here. Let's just keep on going. We kept on going. And we kept on going. And we kept on going. And suddenly we saw... And we realized there's no chance that guy saw this. There's not a chance. He must have turned around. He must have gotten discouraged, saw something, and said, all right, I'm giving up. And in fact, the more and more we went, the more amazing it got. And I'll never forget when we were on the way back, people were on that same inland trail, the woods. They couldn't see even the water. It was just trees and logs and everything. And suddenly they're asking us, how is it? And we're saying, keep on going. It's so worth it. You would not believe how beautiful it is. Keep on going. There's not that much more to go. What was the difference? One of them could say, I haven't really seen it. There's not all that much there. And for those of us who had seen it, we couldn't shut up about it. It was like almost every person we were talking, keep on going. It's amazing. You're going to love it. And I think, frankly, friends, one of the biggest reasons we have a crimp in the hose in our Christian lives is because our experience that we want to share with other people isn't so, so grand and isn't so wonderful that we want everyone to hear it. These men, these Christians said, how are we not going to say what we have seen and heard? How are we going to shut up about it? Jesus is alive and we saw him. But friends, if Jesus isn't that alive to you, or if he's only alive once in a while to your consciousness, you and I are going to shut up about it when we're worried about what that person is going to think about us if we say it, what the people in power are going to do to us if we say it. You see, when we have something to share that we've experienced and it is vivid and conscious in our reality, you're not going to get us to shut up about it. And what I want to suggest to you tonight again is that what the fullness of the Holy Spirit looks like to you is bringing the love of God to your reality, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, 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 the holiness of God, the beauty of God to your reality in such a way that there's a sense in which you can't shut up about it. Do you want to be bold? Boldness isn't about screwing up your courage and saying, I got to grit my teeth and say this and then, and then scurry away and hope that I don't get in too much trouble. 
boldness as we see these men have is a divine empowerment in a particular moment to say everything that needs to be said because in that moment I am struck, I am captivated by a fear of the Lord and by a conscious reality of the experience of Jesus Christ in my life that empowers me to open my mouth and say whatever needs to be said. What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter was that back then he knew Jesus, but he didn't know him as the resurrected Savior and Lord. And he didn't know the Holy Spirit that would keep on glorifying Jesus Christ in his consciousness such that he couldn't shut up about the things that he had seen and heard. My friend, there may be a time when you and I are full of the Holy Spirit in a way that we've never been before. There may be a time when your neighbors will be confronted by the gospel of Christ through your bold speech that they've never seen from you before. Your coworkers are going to hear you say everything that needs to be said in love and graciousness, but in boldness. And you know what might they, they might ask about you? What happened to him? What happened to her? May it be that we as Christians are the ones who provoke those kinds of questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that in all of these things, you, through your Holy Spirit, want to bring the reality of Jesus and of his life, his resurrected life, his salvation, his ultimate judgment, and his ultimate reign eternally. You want to bring those things more and more to our consciousness. You want to awaken us to those glorious realities. You are the one who have shined the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts. So, Father, I pray that you would identify for us the pockets of darkness. Would you identify for us tonight the crimson, the hose that keep us from speaking it all, from telling it all in the people that we confront on a daily basis? Let's pause for a moment. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Where's the crimp in your hose? Is it the fear of the Lord that in that particular moment you care more about what God thinks than anyone else? Is it the reality of Jesus Christ that Jesus just needs to be more real to you in that moment? Whatever it is, friends, let's repent where we see those crimps in the hose and confess it openly. And then let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for an empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for a reviving of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing to pray for boldness. May it be a part of our prayer times every day for a greater reality of the fear of God and the reality of Jesus Christ.